Hello and welcome to Hero Speak, entrepreneurial chit chat. My name is Wendy Denley, co-owner of Folio Inc. And I'm Jan Carter Lee. And we're your host today. This podcast is a lively space for conversation, learning and sharing, featuring talented, inspiring entrepreneurs. Through interviews and discussions, we talk about business, sharing insights, support, and empowerment for entrepreneurship, leadership, and life. We are truly excited to have with us today a registered psychotherapist, counselor, and entrepreneur. Jennifer Elder has provided support to individuals, couples, and families in a wide range of practice settings. We welcome our insight as we talk about mental health and well-being and building a successful practice. Welcome, Jennifer, and thanks for joining us today. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Jan. Really happy to be here. Thank you for asking me. It was very, 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 very kind of you to take time because our, our listeners, if they don't know already, there are a zillion people all through Ottawa who say, we love Jennifer. We love Jennifer. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. And, that's right. and Thank you. And we have to do a full disclosure, Jan, because... You and I are the top fans of the Jennifer We Love Jennifer Club. That's right. That's <laughs> <You got> right. <laughs> That's and, really kind. And for for any listeners that may not already know Jennifer Elder, we're going to talk a little bit about her beginning. Yeah. So we understand from your website and from and from knowing you over the years, we uh, you've been in this business for over thirty years. So what inspired you to this field? Well, um, I don't think there was any one thing that inspired me. I think it was just something I instinctively knew I was kind of adept at. I was always one of those people who spent lots and lots of time talking to friends and people I knew about what was going on in their lives and just always wanted to sort of get to know people and understand them. So it just was kind of a natural fit. And I also had a passion for biology at that point in my life in high school. So I sort Mm. of leaned towards sciences. So I went off to McGill in, um, to do my undergraduate in like, it was a bachelor of science in psychology, which is kind of unusual. Most of the psychology programs are bachelor of arts, but at the time McGill had a bachelor of science. So I could combine my interest in biology and psychology, which was a really good thing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And, and, and Jennifer, so how, how much schooling years did, does that involve? Um, the total I did was six. So four years of doing an undergraduate degree and then grad school. And then there's also, um, when you do a master's in counseling psychology, there's an internship components. You do two internships. That's a fair, that's a fair amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It wasn't, it wasn't all drudgery. It was fun. And, um, would, would you, have any specific advice that you'd give to someone who was thinking about starting down that path? Um, I, I in think terms of I, school, I did a little bit of working between my undergraduate and my grad school. I actually worked at what's called an employee's assistance program, and they provide counseling services um, for various organizations as part of the employee benefits. And it was really useful for me to be exposed to some of how the business of counseling and psychology works um, mm-hmm. before I went off to do my master's. I also think it really helped that I was older. I think if I'd gone right into grad school fresh out of my undergrad, I'm not sure I would have brought enough life experience. And you know, one of the great things about grad school is you do tend to be in a group of people of different ages. So 
you know, the conversations and the discussions and the things people contribute to that is really dependent on how much life experience they've had. So it, the, just being that much older helped for sure. Yeah. Experience always is a, a benefit, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Jennifer, if you were to kind of map out the steps that led you to where you are today, what, what, what would those steps be? So the education, the schooling. So the education, I mean, that came first. Um, then to, to sort of enter into the field, I started off at Children's Aid. So that was kind of being thrown into the fire, essentially. <laughs> it was really oh, life in the trenches. It was great no experience, kidding. but really challenging. And it was really demanding. Um, it was a great place to start because I got exposure to a lot of stuff. Um, but then it, I, it coincided the end of when I worked there coincided when I gave birth to my first daughter. And there's, there's an expression about how, when you have a baby, you become the mother to all children. (laughs) It's so true. There was no way I could go back to doing the physical and sexual abuse investigations I'd been doing. I I couldn't go back to that. Once I had children of my own, it was just too disheartening. Mm -hmm. So then I switched gears and went into work at an employee's assistance program again. And the great thing about that was that you see a lot of people, employees assistance programs are sort of short-term brief therapy models. So you see people for three to five hours typically, and then refer them on to something more long-term if that's appropriate. So you see a lot of people, you know, very, very quickly. And it's a really great way, if you're a therapist, a great way of getting a lot of experience under your belt. Mm. But the frustrating part about it is that, um, even though you're getting this quantity of people and you're getting a variety of presenting issues, you don't get to do the depth. So I really craved being able to kind of finish with people. So you start something in three to five hours, but you don't finish it typically. So mm. it was very frustrating after a number of years. And I really, in the back of my head, thought I want to I want to be in private practice by the time I was 40. That was the okay. goal. Interesting, because one, one of the questions we wanted to ask you was, was what, how was it that you decided instead of all the different options that you would have, what, what made you decide to go into private practice? And, and so it's what you, what you just presented. Yeah, it was, it was the depth, the ability to just work with clients for however long it took to, to work through whatever the issues were, but also the ability to control a certain amount, what kind of population of clients I had. So the kind of issues I like to work with, I can, I have much more say in that. I don't have, um, you know, if there's a certain area I don't particularly enjoy doing, then I can sort of opt out of that. And the areas that I'm really passionate mm-hmm. about, I can really sort of build a practice in those specialties. Well, let's, let's face it. We all want to be our own boss too. You know? <laughs> exactly. That's, <laughs> I, it's, that's actually been the biggest perk of it all, that with yeah. kids and a busy life, running your own business has been, you know, one of the greatest freedoms. When my kids were really active and busy and there was lots of things that I had to get them to, I could tailor my hours around that. So I I felt like I could be a good mom at the same time as a good businesswoman. Right. Right. That's important. Jan, Jan, I have a question for you. What, Mm -hmm. when, when was the first time that it may have dawned on you that you weren't meant to have a boss? (laughs) (laughs) It was really, it, it was actually really early on because even way back in, you know, school, like grade school, I was, I always hated when the teacher started group projects. 
Like I, I played well with others, but I didn't like group <laughs> projects, you know, because I wanted to be responsible for, for my mark, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so I knew I, I liked uh, being responsible for myself and working as hard as I wanted to. And, uh, but I, I was similar, uh, Jennifer, in that when I had my son, I, you know, having the flexibility of working for yourself became really important and, uh, and a wonderful way to, to balance both, you know? Mm-hmm. The other thing about private practice is mental health services are chronically underpaid. That's not ever going to make anybody a very healthy income when you're doing it for yeah. another organization. Yeah. So private mm-hmm. practice is really one of the only avenues for therapists to generate what I'd consider a to be a sort of a healthy income. income. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, you, know, sadly, you get it's very... All the social service. Yeah, exactly. So that's, yeah. you know, it, I think most therapists at some point get frustrated with that if that's the if that's the road they've taken. So private practice is the solution to that. Yeah, overworked and underpaid for sure. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I have to I have to share um, when I realized that um, I didn't do very well with a boss. Um, I didn't like anyone telling me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> So as a toddler. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Jan, exactly. No, I, I, I remember I was in the federal government for about 13 years, and uh, I remember um, a few managers. Uh, I just, I felt like they were trying to keep me in a box, that, that they weren't, you know, I had ideas, and, and but no, I had to do this and stay in the box. And, and then I thought, yeah, this, this, this isn't working for me. So it's, it's, it's interesting because I think you do know, um, and it finally hits you that, yeah, better to go on your own, be your own boss, enjoy the flexibility, although it's a lot of hard work, but having Mm -hmm. that flexibility is amazing. You know, things happen in your life and to have that flexibility to be able to deal with it in a day is, is just amazing. So one of the one of the things I'm I'm hearing Jennifer is um, if you want to make money, <laughs> if you want to make, make money in this field, uh, one of the recommendations is is private practice. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's um, it's the money, but it's also there's there's room for creativity, there's room for specialization, there's you know an mm-hmm. ability to really use your time the way you want to. So it just it's just really the best of all worlds in that sense. And, and Jennifer, in, in that regard, what, what are the, um, the things that you enjoy? Do you enjoy the one-on-one? Do you enjoy couples counts? What are the things that you, you prefer your, your specializations? Well, I, I would, I would suggest that what I specialize in is what I would refer to as relationship therapy. So I see individuals and couples and families but really most of the work I do is related back to relationship and connection. So, mm. you know, I'll see people who have depression issues or anxiety issues, that kind of thing. But I think the, mo- the majority of what I do is, is about relationships and families and how people are connected. And we'd, we'd all like to be a fly on the wall of a therapist. No. <laughs> Some days, I maybe. Bet you have, I bet you have stories. I know that you wouldn't share, but I bet you have stories, you know, that are, that we all are curious about. And so what, what is, what is an, uh, like the number one issue that you see today and today, and how does that compare to, to when you first started your practice? Has it changed over the years? 
Therapy has really changed. I mean, to answer your question, the the number one issue I see now is anxiety and, Mm -hmm. you know, anxiety that is is related to sort of the, the time we live in. So there's a lot of people who have very little time, are very detached from their relationships and their families and are feeling very lonely. So mm-hmm. the anxiety comes out of that. But um, therapy's changed. When I first started practicing, it was in the 90s. And society was different. I mean, we had computers in the beginning of the internet, but we didn't yet have social media. We didn't have smartphones. We weren't doing internet dating or internet porn or all these other things that have really kind of come into the into the forefront in recent years. And so the kind of issues people presented with back then were more about managing their time. Even even therapy was different in the sense that it was a bit more, it was still rooted in what would be like a medical model, some more diagnosis and treatment. And therapy styles have changed because in recent years, we've got a lot more um, evidence-based therapy approaches. So things like cognitive behavioral therapy and emotionally focused therapy, which are sort of two very common and popular approaches, those have kind of come out of research that was really scientifically based and that we really have evidence to show that it works. So it's a much more, um, sort of a much more proven effective way of doing therapy. Whereas back in the nineties, it was still being rooted in, in other ways of doing things. So Hmm. when, when you do therapy now, you've got, you've got to manage all the sort of the, re- the results of the social media, smartphone kind of plugged in life that we're all living. And that really is, in a lot of ways, getting people back to the basics, back to connecting, back to valuing their relationships, back to setting boundaries around what they do with their time and, you know, developing an awareness about what their choices are every day and how that affects their mental health. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah. yeah, go ahead, Jan. You know, I just thinking that's, um, it's so timely right now because we're all thinking about that right now in this atmosphere of COVID and, and everything that's happening in, in the world politically and, and everything. It's, so. it's often, often in my sessions recently during COVID with, with clients, they, they talk about that. There's a lot of talk right now about how really in a lot of ways it's going to be, we hope, a reset for our society, a chance for everybody mm-hmm. to have, to have been forced to slow down and to have been forced away from all the activities and busyness and to sort of settle back down with families. Obviously it wasn't in ideal circumstances, but it has offered people an opportunity to kind of tap back into that slower lifestyle and what that does for their mental health. It's interesting, Canadian, the Canadian Mental Health Association did some research at the beginning of COVID and it showed that, you know, in the beginning it really spiked. The levels of anxiety and depression were really high. But then they did some recent testing again, a recent research again, and found that actually now the numbers are, are going down again. And the theory mm. is that as people have sort of worked through the process and worked through adapting and kind of coming to this new normal, that they are actually in, in not bad shape. So it's an interesting, you know, an interesting experiment in our community and our society. Yeah. Imagine the books that are going to be written in the next few years, you know, about oh, this time. Yeah. And how the research, and it does it's, it's people are referring to it as the the biggest psychological experiment ever. Yeah, because there's yeah. you know I, I think I read somewhere I'm not sure don't quote me on this but I think I read somewhere that something like a third of the population of the world was in lockdown at one point, which wow. is a massive massive amount of people and that kind yeah. of that level of being cut off from everything we're used to and yeah. the change in people's situations that the impact of that is I don't think something we're going to understand for a while yet. Yeah. And I do think you're, I, I do think that it's right because I felt great anxiety at the beginning and then I found myself naturally falling into a new routine 
And once I had that new routine, I was feeling better. You know, I still didn't like what was happening, but I, but so I think, you know, and I'm sure I'm not alone. I think a lot of people got into a groove with their families and, and with their, with their day-to-day life. Um, And so, yeah, people did for uh, sure. I mean, there was the shock. There was the shock of it all. I mean, it happened very quickly. If you think back to when it started, there was an, in Ontario anyway, there was an announcement that schools were going to stay closed after March break. And by, I think it was by the Monday after that announcement, like three or four days later, everybody was sort of staying home. So it was very quick. And there was sort of the classic reaction to any bad situation when you enter this sort of shock phase, it sort of kicks in your sympathetic nervous system, which tells you there's a threat in the environment. And then there's a panic that ensues. And that's when you saw these lineups at Walmart and people stockpiling toilet paper and all that craziness. (laughs) Holy toilet paper. (laughs) But then, you know, then there was this kind of this, this lull afterwards where nobody could go anywhere and the sort of the reality of what was happening sank in and, and people started reading and seeing the news and being bombarded with media. And there sort of was a collective grief that kicked in, I think. And people were really struggling with that. And that's when lots of people were having sort of mental health reactions. But, you know, it's yeah. like any difficult situation. We sort of work through those feelings. And, you know, there's, there's, you know, most of the time, the majority of people kind of discover resiliency. Sometimes they didn't even know they had and get through yeah. to what's kind of considered to be an acceptance stage. And that's when we get that new normal and we adapt and we kind of settle in and our parasympathetic nervous system kind of calms us back down. Yeah. But you know, in that in that group, I mean, you know, most of us have that resilience. There's always about, I think the research says about 10% of people struggle to to a larger extent and really have mental health impact when they go through a difficult situation like this. So I think that's what we're just beginning to see in sort of therapy circles. And and Jennifer, I'm sure that you had and have a number of clients who went from the office environment to uh, working from home. Was there uh, in, advice of specific, you know, good practices that you advise clients or structure routine kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when you think about how we were all reacting in the beginning, I mean, what you want to do is sort of allow your nervous system to calm back down and allow your parasympathetic nervous system to kick in and allow you to relax into the new reality. So you want to do things, I mean, back then what we were recommending to people is lots of things that are about routine and rituals in your day. So making sure you got up at the same time, if you were working from home, making sure you sat down at your desk the same time you would have sat down at your desk in your office. And you know, and you're wearing silly, clothes. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, there are silly little practices that people talked about, like making sure you had shoes on, because when you have shoes on, you feel more formal. And making sure that, you know, that you actually had a, a separate dedicated space to do your work at so that when the day was over, you left that space and you didn't have the constant reminder because it was your dining room table. So those sorts of things, like tips around that and sort of sending your body this message that, okay, it's work time now. And then, okay, it's personal time now. So that there was a, a, dis- a defining line between the two. That's really important. And, you know, I hear lots of stories about people kind of coming up with ways of doing that and settling into that. So I think, I think for most people that that worked out okay after a little while, but you know, with, with clients, there's always such a variety of issues. So, you know, some people were dealing with financial issues because they'd lost their jobs or they were dealing with social isolation because they were on their own for the first time and couldn't get out and see friends or family. So they were dealing with just being lonely. Um, I had people dealing with parents in long-term care or parents Mm. trying to deal with their kids schooling online so the, the funny thing about the COVID experience, I think, has been that it's been, it, there's so, for every client, there's a unique version of what COVID was for them. 
right? Because there's That's just so point. many different combinations and permutations of things that people have been experiencing. And, and, and that continues. I have clients now who had a history of anxiety. So now they're dealing with what's called reentry anxiety because they're having to go back out into the world and they had just kind of calmed down around the COVID thing, but now they have to switch gears and go back out. So yeah. it's, it's been a, a moving target a little bit. And how safe they feel going out back yeah. out too, right? Exactly. Yeah. But you know, the other things about working from home that we always recommend, it's the same thing that you would you'd think of in any of these sorts of circumstances, which is to make sure you get exercise and aren't too sedentary, making sure you stay away from excessive amounts of alcohol or food. That's, that's been a big issue for a lot of people, just the mm. access to sort of soothing behaviors like drinking more or eating more. So yeah, well, based on the rewards. lineups, yeah, based yeah. on the lineups yeah. at the LCBO yeah. on a cold, know, rainy day, I would say. I know yeah. a lot of the addictions um, sort of therapists were concerned about the increase in drinking. So I'm sure that's that's going to be an ongoing issue too. And then just social connection. I mean, I think people were trying to get on that bandwagon, the sort of number of times you heard people using Zoom for little get togethers with friends and all sorts of stuff that that helped. But, you know, the most meaningful way of connecting was important. So trying to like see a face or talk on the phone as opposed to just texting. That's always really important to have a quality of social connection. Yes, yes, absolutely. uh, Sorry, sorry, Jenny, I was going to say, you know, for some of them, you know, the birthday celebrations going on in our family, Mm -hmm. it's, it's been fun, because everybody will set up their zoom, and uh, we'll sit down and have dinner together. Now, not so fun if someone's um, has their mouth open talking while they're eating. But, um, other than other than that, it's it's kind of fun, you know. You you have your 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 screen and you have your dinner and it's you know yeah. it's not like I being had... there in person, but it's 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 no, at least but to it... see their face and. But and... it was fun. I had Sunday night dinner with uh, with a few single women, and we all would bring our plate to the table. Everybody'd have to look at what you're having, you know, and then we would just sit and chat while we're eating. It was just like being at a restaurant or something. So it was nice. <laughs> Yeah, the um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, we uh, we zoomed our friends, and uh, one of my friends was a little bit down. It's become and, a verb. Uh, Zoom. She's yeah, yeah. She that, right, right, Jen. Um, she she's very um, she's very extroverted. Likes to go into work, enjoys the social aspect of it. So working from home for her in the beginning was was quite an adjustment. And so um, we uh, used one of the platforms so we could see each other. And then and then we started playing some music, and we all started dancing and and just just dancing, just mm-hmm. releasing that energy and dancing and and seeing them on the screen and them seeing us. It it, it was it was such fun. So, you know, we try to do that maybe once a month and, you know, for as long as it's going to last, but it's, it's like it's Jennifer, theme of you know, connection. Said, connection. I was just mm-hmm. going to say, it's like Jennifer said, it's, it's that connection that everybody, you know, yearns for that connection. And, mm-hmm. you know, I keep saying, you know, to Isabel, uh, my wife that, you know, thank goodness, we have each other. I, I can't imagine people who are on their own or in an apartment building and single, mm-hmm. you know, when this first hit before when it was the stay at home, yeah. you know, it's, it's so much connection is. Well, is dogs lost. help. Dog, I can oh, say that dogs gosh. help. <laughs> I think a I lot, didn't... a lot of my clients who are single and were really struggling with that, one of the worst parts, and I think one of the worst parts of the whole pandemic has been the unknown about how long it was going to last. 
Yes. So that scary feeling at the beginning where it was really unclear. I mean, now we look back on it and we've come so far in three months, so it's already different. But back at the beginning, there was that feeling of, well, how long could this go on? And if you're alone by yourself and, you know, don't have don't have that much family in the first place or don't have a lot of friends or whatever, it's, you know, that's a really scary thing for people to face. Yes. And, yes. and dealing with the worry without anybody to talk to about it. You know, if you live in a home environment where you have a spouse or you have family or children or whatever, people are talking about it. And some of the working through of how to manage the, the sort of scariness and the threat of it was just talking about it, which is always good. And if you're alone, you don't have those people to talk to. So you're mm -hmm. sitting there in your worry and very isolated. So that was, yeah. it was very hard for, for quite a few of my clients. That's, that's a good point. But I also felt <laughs> that, you know, bless the parents out there that were trying to homeschool their kids and <laughs> right. work full time yeah. from home and, you know, do their the safe grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I just couldn't imagine that if my son were a young little boy, how mm -hmm. I would have gotten through it, you know? So I, I really had great respect for the parents that, you know, kept routines up and, and tried to manage uh, all that they had to do. Um, it was, uh, it's quite it was amazing daunting, to me. I think. Yeah, one of, the, it had to one be. of the more difficult situations I heard during the process was of um, some new immigrants who were living in hotel rooms mm. and essentially, you know, had to have their meals delivered to their door in little baggies because they couldn't go out and, you know, are living sometimes a whole family in what's equivalent to a regular hotel room with two double beds. Yeah. And, you know, have nowhere to get like, I mean, at the beginning, it was wintertime, but still they have nowhere to get outside, they can't really get a lot of exercise, and they're all cramped up in those little four walls. And I, I don't know how people like that oh. got through that, it must have been very challenging. And on top of that, if you so have kids trying to trying to school them in that environment. So, you know, I think, again, everybody's, everybody's experience was very unique. Yeah. And I agree with you, Jan, those poor parents that have had to go through <laughs> trying to work and trying to be a teacher and you know, trying to yeah. run a household in what was challenging times. Yeah. I think well, everybody's going to appreciate the teachers now. I mean, everybody's like, God bless the so. teachers, you know, <laughs> because, so. because they yeah. realized that they, you know, it's uh, such a difficult role. So, yeah, I think I, I heard a lot of parents, I heard a lot of parents um, really saying that, saying how grateful they were for the teachers and not realizing how challenging it was. But also a lot of parents who eventually at some point were saying, I can't do this. You know, people sort yeah. of gave up a little bit along the way saying, I just have to lower the standards. And in some ways, I think maybe that's one of the lessons of COVID that sometimes you have to lower the bar. Yeah. Not that parents trying to teach their kids have too high a bar. I'm just saying that as a general rule, sometimes we just have to recognize when we can't do it all. Yeah, exactly. And do the best we can. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Jan, you mentioned earlier about, you know, a lot of people getting dogs. Uh, I have a client, uh, Happy Hound, and um, they have been over inundated with requests for their puppies. They, they breed uh, doodles, uh, golden doodles, and they have like 400 and something people on the waiting list. It's oh, everybody wow. has uh, getting a dog, have gone to the pound to get their dogs. And um, it's, it's amazing. And, and it, it, it leads me to as, as horrible as a number of the factors about the COVID-19 situation has been there have been some joys that people have been reminded of or are experiencing and so a question Jennifer to you is there something specific that maybe you hadn't been doing as much before that you're doing now 
due to the change situation? There is quite a few things, actually. I think one of the challenges of being in business for yourself and being solo, like you are if you're a therapist, is always that feeling of there's only me and there's a certain limitation to the number of hours in a day. So I always find it challenging to kind of keep some boundaries around taking time for myself during the day. It's tempting sometimes to just squeeze somebody in because they're in a real difficult situation and they and they would like to uh, get a session before the end of the week. So I have always struggled to make sure I try to keep some boundaries around that. I find for some reason working from home, it's easier. I'm taking lunch hours. I'm sitting out in my garden. I'm, you know, checking in with my dog when I take a break, those kinds of things. Hmm. But I'm just, you know, I, I'm a bit of an introvert, so I like quieter activities anyway. And just having more time to do things like read or garden or talk to a friend, those things are all really valuable to me now. And again, as this in this theme of reset, I'm hoping that having gotten much clearer about that now, when I go back to actually being in my office again, I will keep some of those good habits in place because they're good for everybody's mental health, including therapists. Yes. No, absolutely. And it is funny that the things that have become uh, important. Like, I don't know how many people planted Red vegetable baking. gardens, me including, <laughs> yes. me included, yeah. and but you couldn't yeah. buy seeds anywhere, you know, and no. um and of course, you couldn't get flour because everybody was baking again. Exactly. Yep. And, All those uh, old so, fashioned and, and bicycles. Kind of things. Mm-hmm. Bicycles, exactly. Bicycles, you couldn't buy a bicycle. So it's it's very interesting. We, we went back to, you know, living on Walton's Mountain or something, you know, mm-hmm. with all I our... I think it's the but, thing, it's just time is such an, it's such, I think it's one of the most valuable resources we have now really is our time. So when, when people were forced into the slowdown, all of a sudden, all those things that they would love to do regularly and can't because they're too mm-hmm. busy, they, they had time to do. So baking bread's a perfect example of that. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. I was doing things with my daughter, like printing up photo albums from, you know, photographs from 10 years ago, that kind of thing. All the things that are yeah. too big and daunting when you're doing a busy week, but when you've got some time, all of a sudden seem like something that's a, that's a good idea. And, and the garden's getting a lot more TLC. Yes. Oh yeah. People, <laughs> people have lovely gardens this year for sure. So much so that there was a point where it was hard to get any plants. I don't know if you mm-hmm. guys had that, but yep, we were absolutely. in my search for some gardening plants. I was, I was noticing the distinct lack of supply this year. And um, Jennifer, how, in terms of your practice, how have you had to adjust? What, what adjustments have you had to make? Well, we, like everybody at the beginning, shut down our office and moved to a virtual platform. So I offer my sessions right now by either video or telephone, depending on what people are more comfortable with. And I, thankfully, I don't have a practice that has a lot of kids. So that's a little bit harder to do virtually. Um, but I continue to see adults and, um, you know, it's, it, it has its challenges in the sense that you can't. I think a huge amount of therapy is about the environment you create for the client. And, you know, there's, there's sort of ritual to it. I go into the waiting room, I greet them, I lead them into my office, they settle onto the couch, I pour them a glass of water, and we sort of check in with each other. And so there's, there's sort of a caretaking and a connecting that happens as a ritual start to the session. And there isn't that when you're doing it virtually, it's kind of a little bit more jarring. It's, they pick up the phone and say hello. And you're sort of, I mean, you try to do some of that easing in, but it's, it's, it's a little bit more um, startling in the fact that it starts quicker. Same thing when you're doing a video call, it's a little bit, um, it's, it just doesn't have those sort of softer touches to it. So I think, I think that's been a change. I also think when people are 
particularly on a video platform, people find it difficult um, to really show emotion. I think sometimes I'm finding that certain clients, and I think it's probably because they're watching themselves in the little sort of the little tiny screen, they're watching their faces a bit. So, you know, if you're in a very emotional moment and you need to show some emotion, like you need to cry or you need to show something, people get self-conscious. And if they've got a visual reminder of what they look like in that moment, it's even harder (laughs) to kind of put that away. So I do encourage people to turn it off if they can. um, So they're not watching themselves because you want them to really just be in their emotional space at that time. But it's challenging. And I think there's also a bit of a reluctance on my part as a therapist when the person isn't physically present with me to push them too far into something difficult. There's, mm-hmm. there's a bit of a sort of holding back that happens. So I'm, I'm sort of mm-hmm. checking with myself often to make sure I'm, you know, aware of what's going on there, but also aware of where they're at. So it, it does have limitations. I certainly would not want to do an entirely virtual practice. I think that would be really challenging. And I take my hat off to therapists who do it. I, I like the, the personal touch of being face-to-face with the person and all the elements that come with that. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you saw anything that would be a lasting change from the changes you've had to make for your practice. I think probably that the virtual piece will always exist now. I do have some clients who much prefer it. I have one client in particular a couple of weeks ago who said, you know, I hope you're not you're not going to mind if I want to continue to do it by video because she said I much prefer it. It's in, in her case, it it was two factors. One was the timing. She said it was much easier just to do it and not have to worry about taking time out of work to drive to a session and drive back. But the other part was she said that there was a bit of safety in it. She felt like she could, she was willing to say some things that she said, I would have felt I would have struggled more to say in person, which to me is interesting because I would have thought it would be the other way around. But for her, the virtual platform just was something she was more at ease with. And I think that speaks to a newer generation of people who do so much of their day-to-day existing on their on their computers. So the ease for her of doing it that way just it was just familiar for her. So I, I think okay. I think it will have to be part of any practice moving forward. I think most therapists will probably figure that out and we'll have to kind of weave that in. I think most people were doing a little bit of it anyway, but for yeah. sure but it sounds forward, like that would be part of it. It sounds like though that you'd prefer to have a mix with a with a more of an emphasis yeah. on face to face. Yeah, I think ideally I'd like to have a little, yeah, hybrid version with the majority of it being face-to-face. I don't think there's anything that replaces that, that sort of sense of, you know, because the other thing is when you're talking to someone virtually, I'm not controlling that environment. So their dog could be barking. I mean, I had a session this morning with a woman who was interrupted by her child probably 10 or 12 times, which, you know, that just throws the whole, the the tempo of the session off. And so just as she's getting to something important, she loses the momentum of that because she's redirected to her child through no fault of her own. I mean, she can't leave that child unsupervised. So, you know, that, that distraction factor, when someone comes into a therapist office, you know, I control everything about it. I control the way it's decorated. I control the fact that there's no disturbing noises. I, you know, I try to make it as comfortable and as welcoming for people as possible. And that, that I think that's an important part. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been amazing though, you know, the person uh, having to leave from work and deal with the traffic and get, get to your office and then get back to work or whatever the case may be, you know, with this situation until things started gradually opening up, opening up again, the, there's been very little traffic. It, it was <laughs> so true. much better on the Queensway and, you know, for people who'd have have to take the, 
the the bus to work or several buses to work or have to deal with the um, O train and all those issues. It's it's people are there's a lot of people who are really enjoying not having to do that travel. Yes. Well, it's time. I mean, a lot yes. of people, I don't think, you know, we, we get so, we, we turn on to sort of automatic pilot and we, I think we just do things because it's the routine of our day and we forget sometimes until we no longer do it, how much time it takes or how it feels to do it. So I think people have been surprised by how much just not commuting, what, what an amount of time that offers them. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. You know, being absolutely. able to shut your computer and be downstairs in your kitchen in, in two minutes, that's, that's a pretty nice yeah. commute. That's, yes, a nice, exactly. that's a nice bonus. So I really think for therapists, we're going to see some people really struggling when life goes back to, unfortunately, I think it will probably return back to somewhat of the same thing. But I think people are going to struggle with that. There might be some feelings of frustration at going back to sitting on the Queensway in traffic or, you know, dealing with winter weather and all those kinds of things. So, you know, I think this, this pandemic is going to have long reaching impact on people's mental health in a, in a lot of different ways. Well, and I have actually heard of uh, a few um, family member and, and another friend that uh, have decided to just retire. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. bit early, but they said, nope, I'm, I think I'm done. I've had a taste and I think I'm done now. So I'm just going to go yeah. ahead and retire now. So that's a nice option. Uh, yeah. It is a nice option for some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Jennifer, on your site, uh, jenniferelder.ca, you've got um, some great apps up there and some books and other resources. Um, during this situation, have you been referring your clients to any specific apps or, or books to read? Not really any books. I mean, I, I think that there's there probably will be a lot of books to come <laughs> that will reference <laughs> what this was all about. Apps, I mean, I think I've been doing a lot of reinforcing of some of the stuff that we already do every day in our offices anyway, which is really encouraging people to do sort of mindfulness exercises and meditation, that kind of stuff. So, you know, calm and headspace are two of the most popular apps for meditating. That kind of stuff has been really useful and I think has helped people when they were really agitated at the beginning and needed to just kind of settle in. Meditation is a really great way of just kind of calming yourself and really grounding yourself in the moment. So that's been very useful. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't think anybody really knew where we were going. So it was always just trying to be with the client in the moment with whatever they were dealing with. And there is really no right way, I don't think, of doing a pandemic. <laughs> so we've, no. we're, we're learning all of us <laughs> as we go. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, there's, there's so many, there's so many people um, who do, 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 do. They're used to being busy, 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 do, do, do. And part of that stops them from thinking a lot about things. And Mm -hmm. then to suddenly be in a situation where they don't have as much of the constant do, 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 and maybe they start thinking about things that they've been trying to keep out of their minds or so I can imagine it's, it's the situation has just set off so many things for therapists to be dealing with, with clients. Yes, I think that's right. I mean, that sort of slowing down forces you to start processing a little bit. And sometimes that's what people are avoiding. Yeah. So that's a good point. It doesn't sound like there's uh, any chance that you'll be, you know, uh, losing clients at this point. You'll be, you'll be, I'm sure have a long list of clients wanting to get on your. Yeah, I I think it's going to be, yeah, I think it's going to probably be busy for quite a while. There was an article I read recently that referred to therapists as the last responders. 
Oh, interesting. With the idea that that. at the end of something difficult happening, you know, we're sort of the people who will be hearing about it for months to come. Yeah. After the news stories die down and after everything else kind of clears up and after everybody goes back to their day to day and the stores open, that the impact on the mental health, that's the that's the quieter part that people aren't necessarily seeing. Yeah, well, I, I think that's that's a brilliant term, the last responders, because I, I do think about the first responders too. Um, mm-hmm. My mom, my mom's at a, a long term care, and and they were hit very hard uh, by COVID. And uh, these nurses and healthcare workers, they were they went through the fire, and they're still just coming out of it now. Mm-hmm. And I think the long term effect on those poor workers um, will be something you know it just I I know they're going to need support um yeah uh, I think the trauma uh, that they will have dealt with in in watching some of the things that they watch and making choices and I mean I think we all heard the horror stories of what happened in the ICUs and things and I think it must be I, I mean I think they're probably just working on automatic pilot I'm not sure how they got through and what they do to sort of support each other but I can't I can't imagine I mean first responders deal with difficult situations all the time but usually it's not as sustained and it's not day in and day out day after day yeah so I think that there probably will be a huge amount of research into that to try to understand how to support but I, I agree with you I think there's going to be a lot of healthcare providers who are going to wake up after all this is done and be really really struggling with it yeah, and then that's why we're grateful to have uh, people like you. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, listen, Jennifer, we, yeah, last response, I love that term. We have a few rapid fire questions, Jennifer. Uh oh. Just, and it's just okay. so that no, nothing like being no, put on the yeah, spot. Yeah, get, get, get ready. So, okay. just so we, you know, we and our audience can get to know our heroes a little better. Our last responders are a little better. <laughs> okay. I'll see are what you I ready? Can do. Are yep. you ready? Okay. First one. What's the best advice you've ever received? Um, professionally, what stands out? I had an amazing mentor who was my supervisor when I did one of my internships for grad school. Eve Aspinall was her name. And she was spunky and fiery and everything good in terms of personality. She drove a little white, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, a little yellow MG convertible. And she and I worked together at a hospital in Montreal, Queen Elizabeth Hospital, and did, she did a lot of introducing me to how to do therapy well. And she used to say to me over and over again, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. Get in there. Feel it all. See it all. Hear it all. And she was so passionate about not worrying too much about what to do. And as a new therapist who's terrified of screwing somebody's life up, it was really, really wonderful to have her just say, don't worry about it. You can't do anything wrong. Just speak from your heart. It'll be fine. We'll figure it out. So she was amazing. And I always remember that. There are many times when I'm holding back in a session. Yeah. There are many times when I'm holding back in a session, thinking about something. And then I think, oh, no, what would Eve say? And she'd say, (laughs) just spit it out. (laughs) That, That sounds like the perfect mentor. Yeah. She was fantastic. Oh, excellent. Okay, what's your favorite book, or do you have a favorite book that you'd say was instrumental, or, or that you just enjoyed? Favorite book. I love to read, so I've read a lot over my life. <laughs> um, one of my favorite ones is called The Invisible Bridge. It's about oh. an architecture student in Eastern Europe during the Second World War. It was just a really good book. 
One of my favorite books professionally is a book called In the Shelter of Each Other, which is a book written by um, an American called Mary Piper. And it's all about how the importance of keeping family relationships and connections strong in this crazy world we live in. And I read it in fairly, fairly quickly at the beginning of my career, and it really changed my whole focus on how to be a parent and also how to be a therapist. Boy, well, that's, a lot about uh, that's one that you you might want to reread that one now. In, in, I, you know, in, I did reread it time. once, but mm-hmm. you're right. I should probably reread it again. Yeah. And the rest of us will all read it. Yeah, uh, okay. That's good. That's good. Um, what is one talent or skill that you wish you had? That's easy. I wish I could draw. My talented <laughs> daughter. I have a very talented daughter who is an artist. An artist. And yes. is fantastic at it. She just made me a beautiful painting of our house for Mother's Day. And I'm oh, so, I, I look, I look at how she just can put something on paper and I'm so envious of that skill. I've always wished I could paint or draw. <laughs> That's fun. That's fun. It's easier. Mm-hmm. It's often drawing or music is the, is the two most common answers for that one. Is it? Just, well, I know yeah. you're a great yeah. painter. I've heard well, a little birdie told well, me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I do. Fabulous. I do enjoy. I do enjoy playing with art too. So you, mm-hmm. you enjoy uh, playing with art. You're very talented. Oh, thank you, Wendy. <laughs> And, uh, okay, last one. What's your favorite vacation destination? And, boy, I bet you wish you were there right now. My favorite? Oh, that's a good question. I probably would have to say Guernsey. I don't know if you know where that is. It's one of the Channel Islands, which are off the north coast of France. My mother's family is originally from there. And in grade 12 in high school, I went there and lived there for the summer and worked at my uncle's little cafe and it's uh, in the town, they have a harbor and so all sorts of boats that are going through the English Channel from France over to England or whatever stop and, and people come to the island. But it's a, it's a tiny little island and it's lovely. It has these beautiful cliffs and gorgeous beaches and tiny oh, little lanes and bluebell woods. It's gorgeous. It's, it's a place that's very near and dear to my whole family. Oh, so. that, sounds, that sounds blissful. Mm-hmm. That, sound, that sounds absolutely wonderful. Let's, it let's is go. beautiful. Oh, I guess we can't go anywhere, can we? <laughs> we can't okay. go anywhere right now. <laughs> can't go, can't go right, right now. But Okay. Note to all listeners, our, you can't go anywhere. Put, yeah. Put it on your wish list. Put it on your wish list. Jennifer, we, we, we could talk with you all day, but we know that you have a lot more last responding to do. God love you. <laughs> God love you. We, we've, we've enjoyed having you on our podcast so much. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to be with us here at Hero Speak today. Well, well thank you both for, for having me. It's been so much fun. It's nice to talk and chat about these subjects. I know the pandemic has been a big thing for everybody. So yeah, we, 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 uh, we may have a demand to have you back on the podcast again. So um, anytime, a, it would be my pleasure. Up on that. Thank you to uh, all the listeners who have tuned in. You can reach Jennifer through her website at jenniferelder.ca. And to check out our other podcasts, please go to folioinc.ca forward slash podcast, or you can catch us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google. In our next episode, we'll be chatting about the art of referral. Until then, continue to be safe and well.